welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a three times per week college basketball show brought to you in under eight minutes at the time of recording. It is Thursday, February 22nd, 9.54 p.m. My name is Josh Molnix. On today's pod, Indiana beats Caitlin Clark and the Iowa Hawkeyes handedly, I might add, and top 25 upsets on the men's side. It's all right now on the Under 8 Podcast. Josh Doring is here with me. Number 14, Indiana, 86. Number four, Iowa, 69. Caitlin Clark, 24 points on 26 shots. Uh, A tough night from the three-point line for both her and the rest of Iowa. And when you get some of the individual performances that you got from the Hoosiers inside Assembly Hall um, against a top 15 team like Indiana, Hawkeyes fall behind in the second quarter and uh, never able to claw back into it, Josh. Yeah, you had a couple problems. First is that Caitlin Clark scored 20 of the 33 first half points. Mm. So you didn't get a lot from anybody else. And then the second half, the supporting cast was better. And Caitlin Clark really, really struggled. Neither of those things is good enough to be a very motivated Indiana team on their home floor which I think is the simplest way to break this all down. And like you said, you know, Mackenzie Holm was really good. Sarah Scalio was really good, particularly in the first half, and then hit a couple shots to seal the game at the end. IU was 90-21 from three. They made their threes. Iowa didn't. This is the kind of thing that happens on the road in a good conference when you just don't have a good night. And... The elephant in the room is when is this going to happen in the NCAA tournament for me? When is Caitlin Clark not going to make everything she looks at? Because like it might not look like 8 of 26 and 3 of 16 from the three-point line, but it might look like 8 of 22 and mm-hmm. 4 of 11 from the three-point line, 4 of 12 from the three-point line. And the like if you get to the final four, like I find it hard to believe that if you get to the final four in your Iowa, that Caitlin Clark isn't going to be awesome for two games. Like I, but you know, round of 32 round of 16, it's not even a commentary on whether or not Caitlin can do it for six straight games, because obviously she can, but the likelihood that she does is not, is that she's excellent and efficient for six straight games. Like that's, the probability of that is is pretty low, and it'll just depend on if if that game comes, does Iowa survive? Because if they do, they might win a national championship. But if they don't, and they it happens in an Elite Eight game or a Sweet 16 game against a team that will have a similar resume and have a similar type of talent to what Indiana has this season, um, they could lose that game. So that's the... That's the that's that's the only question I have when it comes to Iowa right now. And, you know, this game wasn't particularly close. It just wasn't. And so it's not like they they kind they they battled until the last two minutes and then ended up losing like this game wasn't particularly close. And that's um, that's that's if nothing else interesting uh, for a team that has the ceiling that it does with the player that it does. This is still inherently it looks different. But this is a one-dimensional team. You're Certainly. absolutely right. 
We talk about this all the time. One-dimensional teams, generally speaking, with regular consistency, do not win national championships because it's incredibly difficult to win the six the same way six times in a row against the best teams in the country. Yeah, and maybe they can get to the Sweet Sixteen just because they're that much better than the other teams they play in the first two rounds. But it is abundantly clear in the past couple of years, especially last year, that right you're going to see an Indiana like team in the Sweet Sweet Sixteen, and that team can beat Iowa. Yeah. There is no walking to a Final Four. You have to win at least four games where you're going to be really challenged at a bare minimum. And it's probably going to be five. Mm. Yeah, certainly Caitlin Clark is good enough that she can do this. Yeah. And because of that, hear, hear me. That is, hear me. That is not what, that is not the question here. Right. That right. Is not, that is, it is not can she carry them all the way to a Final right. Four to a national championship? She can. It's just, Will it how like right? How likely is it that this is the formula that works, right? As opposed to some other ones where you are not this reliant on one player performing so well, or getting, I mean, Hannah Stolke going for forty five again. Mm-hmm. I think it was actually forty seven she had, but that happening yeah. on the one game where Caitlin Clark doesn't play well, and and or then Kate Martin or somebody. Right. And and then you look at some of, you know, like Ohio State put up 82 on the road at Penn State tonight and they had players with 16, 20, 14 and 16. Yep. And then their fifth starter had eight. Um, you look at South Carolina, who beat Alabama by 28 tonight. Alabama, you know, above 500 and SEC play 28 on the season. They had players score 12, 9, 10, 13, 14, 9. And nobody had more than 14. It's and, almost the opposite problem for them is that they might not have the player. And if it is, it's a big, which is right. maybe slightly concerning. Yeah. Right. So um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating conversation uh, about a basketball team that obviously has a ton of eyes on it over the next uh, month, or you would hope if you're an Iowa fan uh, the next six weeks or so that's on the also, women's side. Like we said, uh, a not a super close game. IU uh, beating Iowa inside Simon's got that simply hall. Also, that might end the Big Ten race. Potentially, this is absolutely Ohio. Iowa can't, and now Indiana's back in there too. Neither of them can do this without help. Mm-hmm. This is Ohio State's conference. I will Indiana is to- now a half game ahead of Iowa. This is this is the margin of error you're playing with, that you had this game left on your schedule. You have the Ohio State game left on your schedule. Just throwing it out there with the way this all played out. I said it then, and it's probably going to come to fruition that maybe, maybe not it actually ends up costing him a championship, but that loss against Nebraska could be the difference between sharing a Big Ten title or not. Potentially. Potentially. Uh, on the men's side, in the SEC, number 13, Alabama, 98. Number 24, Florida, 93. The Gators getting into the top 25. Alabama, you know, a metrics darling, top 15 team in the country, winning a ton of SEC games. And these two teams delivered a, a really fun conference game. 
98-93 in overtime in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, another one of those teams that had a just across the board, uh, lots of guys chipping in. Um, and even on a night where Mark Sears was good, not great, um, 17 on 15 shots, just one of six from the three-point line. Uh, you got something for pretty much everywhere else. And ultimately, Nate Oates and the Tide uh, get it done against a, a, a chippy, um, kind of fun Florida team. It looked like Florida's guards might have been able to do just enough for a while there. Mm-hmm. They weren't particularly efficient, though. Grant Nelson was the best player on the floor. 22 points, 8 rebounds, six, assist, 6 blocks. Sorry, not assists, blocks. The big thing here for me is that Alabama won an important, difficult game against a Florida team that hit won 7 of 8 and was playing really good basketball. Alabama started 1 of 17 from 3, finished 8 of 32. So it's 7 of 15, 7 of 14, something like that? Yeah, 7 of 15 down the stretch. And still only got to 8 of 32. So yes, they made threes in the second half. That's part of the reason why they were able to get this game to overtime. They also gave up, again, in overtime, but 93 points. They didn't win with defense. They didn't win with three-point shooting. And they still won this game. We give them a really hard time because it is so metrics-reliant and so three-point reliant. I don't think this is the sign that they're going to do this consistently. I think this is an outlier but wanted to at least give them their props that they won this game by rebounding and points in the paint and no Latrell White sell as well. So you're down an important player and they still found a way primarily because of Grant Nelson who had a really, really good game. They did all of the little things and found a way to prevail without shooting the ball. Well, so good for them because I was kind of sitting there halfway through the second half thinking Alabama doesn't usually lose when they get outscored, but that might happen here because of what Florida's guards were doing and the way the game was going. But they pulled it together, dominated overtime, came out with a win that they don't typically get in this kind of way. So you got to give them credit for that. I suppose I'm supposed to give them credit for that. It's Do Florida. I expect it to happen again? Tuscaloosa. Like, so, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. Um, un- until Alabama shoots their way through the first round through the first week in the NCAA tournament. I will stay strong where I am when it comes to, when it comes to the tide this year, but it's worth, worth pointing out and also keeps them ahead of everybody in the SEC race. So in a very big game, they found a way to do it differently. It's at least worth acknowledging. Yeah. That's about as far as I'm going with it though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting if, um, yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, probably not a game. If you just told me how many points Florida scored and how many threes Alabama made and how many attempts they took, if you just gave me those two bits of information, I would probably say that Alabama lost that game. Exactly. And, and they didn't. Uh, real quick, let's run through some things. Anything else on that Florida Alabama game? Nope. That was it. It was an interesting night on Wednesday night. It's Thursday, February 22nd. But on Wednesday, February 21st, Tyler Kolick had three points in eight. No, I'm kidding. Um, I don't want to die. We don't need to talk about Marquette's 34-point decimation of, of poor DePaul. Did you see that DePaul is like – they are now sub-300 at Kempom. They're making a bid to become the second team ever – the second power 
six team in the Kempom era to finish sub 300 at Kempom? I mean, I can't say it's it surprised like, to me. It was I like didn't Utah, know that off the top of my head. I think it was Utah. The, the tweet, I think, said like Utah in 2012 or something was like mm-hmm. 304. Um, anyways, to Paul, a, a historically uh, bad power conference team, which means they'll beat Butler in the second to last game of the season. And the sky will fall. Um, anyways, more importantly, a couple different things here, starting with Illinois. Penn State 90, Illinois 89, and this was a game that Illinois late in the game was in the driver's seat and kind of coughed it up at the end. <laughs> I mean, up by 11 with just over three minutes left. Mm. Then you follow a three point shooter to give Penn State the lead and score the final points of the game. Yeah, good, good for Mike Rhodes, good for that team. Clearly, it meant a lot to him. Mm-hmm. And any chance of winning the Big Ten probably ended right there. Purdue doing what Purdue was supposed to against Rutgers tonight. Mm-hmm. Something catastrophic is going to have to happen for the Boilermakers to not win this thing outright. That was yep. in a game that you had. And then in the same vein, Kentucky up 13 early in the second half loses to LSU just when you feel like they might be figuring it out. No. Nope. I know LSU is playing some good basketball right now. Things are seeming to start to click a little bit. Another good win for for them in a tough season, but yeah, I mean that was that was really the theme of those two games for me is that not only were these pretty stunning losses, but the manner in which they happened was second half collapses as opposed to just having a really close game for forty minutes not go your way at the end. Yeah. Yep. I I'm I'm out in I don't like am I out in Kentucky? Am I out in Kentucky? Should I be in on Kentucky still? I'm not giving up on them yet. I mean, like they don't do a lot of the things that I'd like teams that I have faith in to do. They, they are. I mean, they're a little Alabama-ish in terms of their offense to defense splits. They just don't defend the basketball really at all. Um, and yeah, they're very. Um, you, should, you should just win that game. Like, yeah, LSU, the 14 and 12 LSU Tigers are playing better. And you should probably win. Yeah, you, know, you should win the game. They're still also not healthy again. If they can finally get all these guys healthy, that's what I'm holding out hope for. Then they'll still be the same undisciplined and consistent team that doesn't play defense. Probably. But could they p- turn it on for six games, five games? No. Make some noise? No. See, no. That's where we disagree. No. No. Because uh, apart from the stretch where they beat Penn, UNC, Louisville, Illinois State, Florida, and Missouri. They haven't put together a streak like that all season. Yeah, and so they, they I mean, beat they... Louisville, Illinois State, and Penn in that stretch. Right. Wasn't the, the greatest stretch. Right after world. losing to another sub-100 Kempom team in UNC Wilmington. I'm still not quitting on it. This is going to be my okay. thing. You remind me the last time that John Calipari was actually the, you know, the check was in Kentucky's box in terms of who had the better X's and O's on the game day basketball coach. You let me know. Um, it's been a while. It's, it, it's been a while. Part of a larger conversation. Absolutely. Uh, Dayton, dude, what's going on? Dayton 24, two run to George Mason. Last time I checked, it's not, what was that? The 2011 final four. Uh, I think it was be- no, it was before was that. It, was it before that? Yeah. 
I don't even know. I'm exposing myself here. Um, it's not whatever year that was. Uh, Dayton giving up a 24-2 run to George Mason. George Mason, first home win against a ranked opponent. And maybe one of the sneakier things about really any conference right now is that yeah. this Dayton team that has kind of been the darling, at least from a national perspective, of the A-10 this year is not uh, even co-leading the A-10 here on February 22nd. No. They're behind both Qu- quietly. I'm honestly surprised that we're not talking about this more. Because mm. it's Loyola Chicago up there. It's a brand that people <laughs> care about. Right? Sure. We're, I mean, we're going to, if they win this conference tournament and get into and get in, all of a sudden, I think we're going to be talking about how good of a season Loyola had. <laughs> And how this has continued under Porter Morrison and look at the job Drew Valentine is doing in XYZ. Mm-hmm. And I am happy for him because I always thought he would, could be a really good coach and it was kind of eh, but here they are right there in the mix for the A-10. Richmond's right there too. And the state team still has to go to Loyola. They have not been particularly good on the road recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting and their non-conference is what's separating them at this point. But it's similar to what's going on in the Mountain West that we've kind of, and I understand why, but we've picked a team here that we're going to prioritize from a ranking standpoint. And there really just is not that much between the top three teams in this conference. Mm-hmm. So this is this is definitely something to monitor because this is going to be a fun tournament to watch, a fun title race to see who ultimately ends up. Because if Dayton can go in there and beat Loyola, then we're having a different conversation. But yeah, twenty-four to two run against George Mason. You would you would just like to see a little bit more consistency on the road from Dayton, and you're not getting that right now. Yep, their last three losses at Richmond, at VCU, at George Mason hasn't been especially convincing on the road the last couple of weeks for the Flyers. Anything else, Josh? Well, then you got the opposite, which is New Mexico who has such a good home environment but lost two straight at home, mm-hmm. finally snapped that and beat Colorado State. That's three top 25 wins at home for New Mexico. They were the reason I said <laughs> San Diego State wasn't going to win the Mountain West. Doesn't look like that's going to be true. The prediction itself, though, looking halfway decent at this point. But mm-hmm. good win for Richard Patino's team to kind of get back on track and continue to build that at-large resume, assuming they don't win the tournament. The last thing I had just New Mexico gets, out. by the way, New Mexico gets both Boise State and Utah State in their last four games. Yeah, there you go. So they're going so to have something to say about this one way or another. 100%. Yeah. Utah State alone at 10 and four atop the Mountain West right this second. Yep. New Mexico's at nine and five, half a game back of Boise State, who's at nine and four. Yep. It's very much up there for, for the taking. There are the one, th- two, there are seven teams that are eight and six or better. Colorado State is eight and six. Yep. Two games back of Utah State, which is, I know, which granted, obviously is a ton with four games left, but that's still, I mean, you know, crazier things have yep, happened. It's absolutely. a, it's a, it's a, it's a conference that I still will argue gets too much credit, but, um, but is still a highly competitive and in a highly competitive conference that is that has some teams beating up on each other, not because they're all just okay, but because there's a lot of good teams in that yeah. conference. 
everybody seems to be generally speaking taking care of business at home against the that's what's making this interesting is that they're all beating each other and nobody mm-hmm. has really been able to gain a big advantage there which is why this title race is so tight yeah it's it's been very interesting i'm with you that maybe we need to show a little bit but these are genuinely good teams and i'm excited to see what they can do in the ncaa tournament once they have to stop playing each other yep Anything last else? thing yeah last thing for me haven't watched too much of her just because i don't do too much halftime studio watching and things like that alia boston is good at this and people do not understand how difficult it is to walk into a studio or walk into a booth or whatever phrase you want to use Mm -hmm. and do this at a high level with so many people watching i mean she was the halftime analyst for a top 15 team, top 15 matchup featuring Caitlin Clark. Some people just have it. And some people, it takes a long time to get good at this. Obviously, she's got a long way to go because, you know, this is year one of her doing this professionally. Mm-hmm. She's got it, though. Very, very impressed with what I saw from her at halftime. So I just wanted to give her a shout out. It's a really cool thing that the Fever are supporting this and that she gets to do this and continue to kind of build these two simultaneous careers and set herself up for broadcasting and get this awesome experience. And she's doing a very good job of delivering a good service for NBC too. So shout out to Leah Boston. There you go. There you go. That's going to do it. Under eight podcast, Thursday, February 22nd, it's 10 15 PM. Some good games over the weekend on both sides, men's and women's men's, side highlighted by Houston and Baylor to kick us off at noon on Saturday. Plenty of good action. We'll talk about it on Sunday afternoon. Um, until then, please subscribe to the podcast where you listen to your shows. Follow the under eight pod on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube. Thank you so much for being here. We will see you on Sunday. <laughs>